Hi, my name is Antonia Dominguez. And I'm Linda Coogan. And you're listening to Wine, the long and the short of it. In proud partnership with Give Wine a Future. How well do you know your wines? From the simple to the complex, from acidity to Symphondel. Welcome to Wine, the long and the short of it. My name is Antonia Dominguez, the long. And my name is Linda Coogan, the short. Between us, we have over 30 years collective experience in wine buying, wine retail and wine education. Every week we discuss a topic, product or trend from the world of wine. Welcome everyone to this very special episode. Our listeners will know that sustainability is an issue very close to our hearts and is the thread that runs throughout all of our episodes. Today, we are asking the question, who cares about sustainability? And as part of our series of sustainable producer or company profiles, um, this is going to be the first of that series. And we are delighted to be joined by James Aroni. CEO of both Maison Vesman, a winery in the Perigord uh, region of southwest France, and also CEO of Green Gen Technologies, a new and innovative company offering sustainable linen-based packaging solutions to the wine industry. James, you are very welcome. We're delighted to have you with us. I'm thrilled to be here. Great. No, this is your first time you told us back in Ireland in about 30 years. 30 years, I'm afraid. But we've discovered you have some Irish ancestry all the same. <laughs> Absolutely. My mother comes from a place close to Limerick. Yeah, you were saying near Adair, I think. Yeah, Adair and Patrick's well, precisely, both of them. Very good, excellent. So we have the Irish connection, which is fantastic. Um, uh, James, we at O'Brien's have been the first customer to launch one of your products. Um, it's called Petit Cernan. It's a Bordeaux blend and it's quite astonishing. And I say astonishing because because it's packaged in a flax fibre packaging that's made with linen sourced in the local Bergerac region. Is that right? No. No? Oh my <laughs> God, my fact check is incorrect. It's, it's sourced from the, the northwest France oh, okay. uh, where flax is produced. And um, France is the, the, the largest producer in the world, uh, producing 75% of the total worldwide flax okay. linen production. But you do produce flax in Ireland. Oh, we do. Yeah. Okay. Right. I, I'm just sitting with my hands here listening to everything going, this is going to be so interesting to hear yeah. what is coming out. I know. I know. It's yeah. fascinating because I suppose the astonishing thing about this flax and the packaging that you produce, and it's a new product to market, um, is that it makes the bottle, if I'm not mistaken, 10 times lighter than a traditional glass bottle. Yeah, absolutely. And as long as uh, wine producers or spirit producers um, use sometimes uh, bottles um, having a weight above 850 grams, my filled bottle is lighter than their empty bottle. <laughs> mm-hmm. This is wow. magic. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So you are the person behind this technology. You're, you're the CEO of the company, Green Gen Technologies, that produces this product. So I suppose my first question is, what moved you to make this product? 
Okay, uh, I've been in the wine business for far too long. <laughs> and uh, at some stage, maybe something like seven or eight years ago, um, it came to my mind that I've been exported millions of uh, wine bottles across the, the world. And th these were glass bottles, of course. And this, were extreme, this is extremely, I mean, bot uh, glass bottles are extreme, extremely um, heavy. Um, and um, they have a very bad uh, carbon footprint. So I thought to myself, we should change this. And uh, so there was only one step to go from the concept, the idea, to uh, the to make it make it practical, practicable. Sorry mm -hmm. for my very French no, accent. No, no, you're doing great. So it was really your desire to do something about the the enormous carbon footprint that glass packaging can have on, on in terms of the environmental impact. Sure. Mm. I'm not going to say anything wrong um, or bad about glass because glass is top of the tops to um, keep wine or spirits on the very long term. Um, and I do personally use glass uh, in my wineries, in the wineries I'm, uh, I'm in charge. Uh, but they have a very bad carbon footprint. Mm -hmm. Okay. So before we talk about sort of how... Um, this particular type of packaging can impact on wine quality and ageability. Can we? Can you tell us a little bit more about the packaging itself in terms of? So, so say we're as we're looking at it, and we'll be posting pictures and videos about the, you know, with with all of mm. this and uh, with pictures of the bottles. But um, as we're looking at it, we have the linen exterior. So, what is it? In what's lining the interior? So we have a food liner, which is made of PET, which is a petrol um, source plastic. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> There's no way to go to go around it. Mm -hmm. There's no other solution in the world other than glass or um, plastic. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. So this PET is recycled. So um, we start with a lower footprint because it's recycled PET, but we, we have to use it. Okay. So that's a food liner, which is um, uh, compliance with the EU regulations and the American one, which is the FDA, Food and Drug Administration regulations. Mm -hmm. Okay. And the closure then is also the PE, made from Same. the PET. Okay. And you were talking about carbon footprint. Have you, do you have a grasp as to how, by how much this packaging reduces the carbon footprint relative to glass? Very much so. So you have the choice uh, between the long story or the short story. <laughs> <laughs> I'll always go for the long story, <laughs> as the listeners will know. <laughs> so tell us briefly and in detail, if you don't mind. <laughs> That's a difficult uh, way of um, for me to think, but I, I, I'll try my best. So uh, the first thing is that uh, what we use um, has a very low carbon footprint because it's a flax linen, and flax and linen, um, when it grows, fixes carbon. Okay, uh, because at, as any plant, like, like a tree, it fixes carbon. So we start with a very low carbon footprint, actually a negative one, but we are not allowed legally to use negative points. So, oh. But it's good to know that we are starting at zero. That's the first thing. So um, talking about the carbon footprint, if we compare it to glass, um, there's two main issues. And please do interrupt me because this is going to last 10 minutes. So. <laughs> no, please go ahead. So um, the first thing about um, uh, carbon footprint, to make it easy, uh, we'll split it in two. 
there's the transport one on one side mm -hmm. and the technology to 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 get the product on the other side to, um, to manufacture the, the the product so just talk let's just talk about the transport to produce glass you go uh, you need to go and fetch uh, some silica which is the sand we one find in rivers mm -hmm. there's not so much but in the ocean okay mm -hmm. to dig it out it's very heavy to drive it with uh, lorries or trains or boat to um, uh, manufacture, I mean, to a place where it's going to be turned into glass. But as I'm talking about transport, I'm not talking about manufacturing this very minute, okay? Mm -hmm. So when the glass is produced, it's a heavy bottle, then you have to send it to the vine grower or to the spirit maker. Uh, who is going to fill it and then ship it at O'Brien's or anywhere else um, in, in the world. So there's um, lots of, uh, I mean, the carbon fun footprint for the transport is so very high because uh, the, uh, the sand on one side, the silica on, one, on the one side and the, the fill bottle on the other side are very heavy. That's mm -hmm. one thing. Mm -hmm. Then you have the manufacturing process. To turn silica uh, into glass, you need to uh, heat it at 1450 degrees Celsius, wow. which requires huge energy. Okay, And this has, of course, a very bad carbon footprint. So these uh, plants, the, these machines, they work 24 hours a day, 20, uh, 36, five days a, a year for about 30 years, never stopping. Okay, because if you can't just stop it, otherwise the glass um, becomes solid and it breaks everything. Wow. So this is using massive uh, energy. Mm -hmm. And our production, so uh, uh, co co coming back, uh, comparing the two, the, the, the two bottles, we uh, take uh, flax uh, from the northwestern France uh, and it's very light um, and we braid it and uh, we drive it to our plant. Uh, so that's very minute uh, carbon footprint. Uh, and then it's a very light bottle. It's about 10 times lighter than a glass bottle. So we save about six kilos per case, uh, which, which is um, uh, three tons per pallet, wow. which is uh, almost seven tons per container um, in terms of uh, transport. And our manufacturing process uh, works at room temperature. So we have an extremely low uh, carbon footprint, both on the transport side and on the manufacturing side. Mm -hmm. Okay, This is hugely important for consumers to understand. Because and people wouldn't have a clue no. about this. They wouldn't. To be honest, I... I don't. Yeah. Didn't know any of this. And this maybe I could add something yeah. Yeah. Uh, which um, most of the, 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 uh, the general public doesn't know about at all is that the planet is running short of silica. And we are running short of silica uh, before um, coal, gas, and oil, petrol. Wow. Okay. Uh, and this for two reasons. The main consumer for silica is concrete. So uh, as um, we are apparently going to have 2 billion more inhabitants on the planet by, two, by year 2050. We need, one needs to build uh, buildings, uh, bridges, hospitals, um, uh, and use massive quantities of, um, uh, of silica uh, to, to have the, the concrete which is needed to build uh, these uh, buildings. That's one thing. But when you have built these buildings, you need to have glass windows, okay? So you need silica again. 
So the first uh, global user for silica is the construction business, and then it's the glassware um, and uh, and the glass bottles. They're very stark facts to to take in, to be honest. But I'm glad that you've been completely frank about it. We had um, a customer comment um, online. We had posted a video um, explaining the, you know, the Petit Cernan had landed and we have it in stores now. And I we did a little post um, and there was a customer comment, only one negative customer comment. And this particular customer alleged that the cost of production of the linen bottle required um, basically, sorry, the production required greater use of energy compared with glass and that there are, he said, or she said, no, it was a he, sorry, and there are also harmful chemicals involved um, and that, you know, glass overall was much better for the environment. So, I mean, the, the explanation you've just given us sort of addresses that concern, but as to his comment about harmful chemicals, James, I mean... Not at all. Yeah, okay. I think there's... Uh, I'm, I'm thrilled that people are commenting, uh, of mm-hmm. course. I think there must have been a confusion with cellulose, uh, which uses lots of chemicals, uh, sulfuric acid, for instance, uh, or maybe cotton, uh, because we know that cotton uses quite a lot of chemicals, but flax not at all. Flax has been used for ages, for, um, uh, I mean, centuries and centuries. Um, uh the Egyptians, uh, pharaohs, used to wear um, linen clothes. And we know, all know that uh, linen doesn't require any chemicals. And so furthermore, they don't need, um, uh, when you are cultivating the, the, the linen, you don't need to spray chemicals because they don't get illnesses. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and we know a lot about it in the wine business because we, lo- we, we have lots of diseases which m- might need some chemicals, but not, uh, not the flax. Not with linen. Plant, not with linen. No. <sighs> this is so interesting. Yeah. Can I ask a question? How, how many years is this project in the making? Six years and wow. two million euros <gasps> spends, wow. spendings. Yeah, it's huge. It's, it looks so simple, but it's been a very, very hard work. <laughs> I can imagine. The consumer... Well, it's a light bottle. It mustn't yeah. be good because people well, often think that the heavier the bottle, the better quality the wine is going to be. Yeah, one and, of the misconceptions you know, we've addressed over yeah. time. Okay, so so that was what, where well, we were going to go next. We know the packaging, it's an innovative, it's renewable, fully biodegradable. Um, we know it reduces carbon footprint drastically and it lightens the load literally for shoppers. Um Mm-hmm. I, I, when I picked it up, I couldn't believe how light it was, to be honest. But what about the wine inside? Let's talk about the wine inside, because there's absolutely no point to having this fantastic solution to packaging if the wine inside is not good quality and one that the consumer will really enjoy and go back and buy again. So can you tell us now a little bit about the winery, the winery's Maison Bestman? Okay. At, in the Perigord region, which I don't think many consumers would be familiar with. Okay. So uh, let's start by saying, where is Perigord? Perigord is west of Bordeaux. So as you mentioned earlier, it's a Bordeaux-type wine, and it's made uh, from Cabernet Sauvignon, which is a Bordeaux-typical grape, and Merlot, which is a Bordeaux-typical grape. We are only about 50, 55 kilometers from Saint-Emilion. So we have almost the same soil. Uh, I'm very always happy to, to, to say that we have less water than our Bordeaux friends because the water comes from the ocean and it falls on Bordeaux. And so we save some water, which is good for the, for the wine quality. Mm-hmm. So that's about the, the region and about the grape varieties. Um, 
to uh, I've got two hats, which is uh, slightly schizophrenic, as I said earlier. Mm-hmm. So um, I make a living by running this estate. Um, so I'm I'm very happy to to uh, do my first wine bottlings in a winery that uh, I'm in charge of because I can't fine tune all the all details over there. And obviously, it was extremely important to have a very high quality wine. To fit with the bottle because we we don't want uh, the Irish customers who would uh, likely be being the, buying the bottles from O'Brien's um, uh, say oh we are disappointed with the wine they must be thrilled with the wine mm-hmm. so this is a wine uh, that uh, we are producing with the help of Michel Roland which uh, who is um, uh, probably the most uh, worldwide known uh, enologist world renowned. Uh, yeah, yeah, world renowned. Yeah, and we really wanted uh, to have a great wine for people to be very happy with the, uh, the both the bottle and and the wine. Mm-hmm. So, it, so the winery itself. Can you tell us um, if is it uh, your own vineyards? You know, could you tell us a little bit maybe about the terroir? Sure. Mm. So it's not my own vineyard. Um, uh, so uh, this is the story. Uh, six years ago. Uh, Robert Westman, an Icelandic pharma business uh, tycoon, um, who had bought a property, a nice, very nice chateau called Chateau de Saint-Sernin uh, in Bergerac, close to Bergerac, in a place called Saint-Sernin, uh, came to me and said, James, I want you to produce 4,000 uh, bottles of the best red wine in the world. So I said, sorry, sir, I'm, going, <laughs> I'm very happy to produce uh, nice bottles of wines, but I'm can't promise it would be the best wine in the world. And the guy said, you must, you must. I said, okay. <laughs> so uh, I, I found a way around it. And I said, there's how many best wines in the world that there's people around the table uh, because your best wine in the world is not yours <laughs> and it, it's, not, uh, it's not mine. So um, uh, he, he's a great uh, wine lover. And we started uh, in the 2016 vintage with one5 Five hectare of vines, okay. and he now owns one hundred and five. Oh wow! So uh, this uh, this has been uh, booming. So it's um, uh, an extremely exciting job, uh, geared by quality, um, and um, he felt that the flax bottle project uh, was a great project, and that uh, we should use it for his wine and his winery first, which was perfect with me because it was the best way for me to test uh, the market. Mm-hmm. And it also, it's also an excellent way because it's also my task to find new customers for this winery, mm-hmm. um, which wasn't existing six years ago. I mean, which is, which is brand new. So, um, of course, uh, O'Brien's listed it because um, uh, they, they, they were interested by the wines, but they were mainly interested by the bottles. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's a good way to find new customers. Mm. And we are, can I just say, the first customer in the export markets. For in the world. In the world, four no. wines, four wines. There's only for the wine. uh, there's already four or five customers for the in the spirit world. Well. Okay, okay. So this yeah. is the first actual wine. Wow, that's a, like that's an incredible. Yeah. We did speak about this before in our innovative episode a couple of weeks we ago. Do you know? And the two of us, you, I, we'd seen the bottle, but I just, it's, I'm fascinated. I'm absolutely fascinated by yeah, this. No, like it's it very really exciting. is. 
It's it very is. exciting. Are beaming, like yeah. it's where we made it. <laughs> <laughs> I listened to it actually, and I said, "I need to need. Uh, I need to meet these two ladies." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so you have 105 hectares of own vineyards. I mean, the estate own vineyards and um, Cabernet and Merlot plantings. Is, is that correct, or yeah. do you you have some white we, varieties? We, we also produce white wines. Okay. Um, it was totally open book. Uh, Robert Vestman said, uh, "One of the best possible." wine and he told me uh, I'm only interested in red wines so okay we started with red wines and then I came to it uh, to him with um, some wines from Limou uh, which is in the Languedoc on the height of the Pyrenees and uh, where people I mean, where we produce now uh, Chardonnay mm-hmm. and I said to him you produce wines in Bergerac we produce wines in Bergerac for you which are Probably better than most of uh, Bordeaux wines. Goodness, I'm not going to make friends with this kind of (laughs) (laughs) of phrases, but I can prove it. Mm -hmm. And I said, um, if you wanted white wines, why go to Burgundy if we could go to uh, to Limoux? Okay, so mm-hmm. out of the 105 hectares, there's 30 hectares in Limoux. Okay, interesting. Okay. Again, we're all for exploring lesser known regions as well. And, you know, if you can find really good quality grapes that can grow somewhere else that isn't the classic region, you get good value. That's all what we're about as well, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. This is one of the things we talk a lot about, you know, because people, they need good value alternatives to, you know, expensive Burgundy and, and even premium Bordeaux and so on. So it's great to have other regions mm-hmm. to talk about. It's, it's most important. Um, and you wanted to ask about the team. Um, yeah, yeah, so the, I was a bit intrigued with this. You see the team of sommeliers working with you? Uh, so many of them, yeah. Uh, what we love to do, but we don't really publish it. Mm-hmm. Uh, we do tastings, uh, blind tastings. We have um, black socks on the, on bottles <laughs> and we ask people to rate uh, the, the bottles. And I even t- went with Robert Westman and his wife, uh, Xenia, uh, to um, uh, Asia uh, to, to, to do this kind of tasting. And uh, so we have uh, Bordeaux Grand Cruz, we have uh, Burgundy Grand Cruz, and we just test them blind and we see where we come out. We never came out first, but we often came out second or third. Oh, fantastic. And I'm not going to quote the, the Grand Cruz because I don't want to go to court. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Make, making a lot of enemies of the trade, not James. <laughs> but that's, it's, you know, I suppose uh, getting people to blind taste your wine, you see where you, you know, where you lie in the in the line of things. No, I, like I'm tasting the wine here and it's absolutely gorgeous. Oh, to taste that Sorry, in a well, minute. Sorry, well, I am. I'm jumping ahead, ahead yeah. And... <laughs> um, James, as packaging options and closures have evolved over the years, screw, cap, bag and box, there's been much discussion regarding how the packaging of a wine can influence the quality and the ageability. So how would you say the packaging and capsule, say in this case, uh, affects the quality of the wine inside? Okay, that's an excellent question, of course. Um, If we are talking about wines to be kept on the long term, um, people are keeping wines for 5, 10, 30 years, who knows? They shouldn't use our bottle. Uh, glass uh, is the is the perfect answer. Uh, we all have tasted thirty years old uh, wines or sixty every, years old spirits, day. and yeah. <laughs> <laughs> unfortunately, not every day. But, uh, <laughs> it should be that way. 
um, uh, we have a guarantee, technical guarantee from our suppliers uh, for for four years. So the wines can they can be kept four years. Right. But I'm um, talking about the French market, but I guess it shouldn't be very different in Ireland. 80% of the wines are drunk within one year. Mm-hmm. So uh, we are just aiming to, we are not aiming at the top of the top or the most expensive side of the market. Let's, uh, I mean, the Cancrus should keep their traditional bottle. And this is the best way for them to package the wine. But for um, easygoing wines, middle of the range prices, uh, I think uh, our bottle is a good option. Okay, That's so a very pe- honest answer. Oh, no, I really yeah. appreciate yeah, yeah, your yeah. honesty. Yeah. Um, I think it's really important to be to be. 100% transparent with consumers. I do agree. Um, so my, my next question would be, can you foresee any sort of sustainable solution like this for wines that are made to be age worthy? He'll tell you in six years. <laughs> another six. Here's another, another six two million. <laughs> Honestly, I don't think there's uh, solutions uh, for the foreseeable um, future. Uh, some people say, just wait for two years and things will appear. We are very much into it. Uh, we have a project uh, where we could probably, most probably, get rid of uh, the um, plastic uh, liner. Uh, this would require two to three years uh, of work. This would require 500k euros to, to invest. And we haven't found anyone uh, in the business uh, wanting to fund it uh, at, the, at this stage. So uh, I don't believe there's anything coming, uh, coming, in, uh, coming out in the, in the five, 10 years, uh, at least five future. years mm. in, the, in the near future. Yeah. Can I see the bottle again for a second? Can I ask you, so with the flax on it, what do you have to cut this off or what do you do like to recycle the actual bottle? Do you, can you just? Okay. I think there's a, that should answer two questions. Okay. Another one, I should answer why the flax is so, so solid. Okay. Okay. But I'm going to answer your first question first about recyc- recyclability. Oh, oh I, good, I, I, good. almost managed No, it. great, okay. great, great effort. So you said earlier that it's a fully recyclable, which it is. Uh, the plastic goes on the plastic uh, thread, and uh, the the flax goes uh, on the um, on the on its own thread, uh, which is fine. Um, so that's uh, that's uh, that's fine, and it's actually fine for the short term, because the legislation is uh, changing a lot uh, currently, and we are shooting at a moving target. Okay, mm-hmm. because uh, what uh, is uh, accepted today will not be accepted in five years or ten years time. So we are in constant, uh, constantly trying to improve the recyclability, and we will launch a, a second version of the bottle within one year, which will be more easily recyclable. Because this bottle is recyclable, but it's not easily recyclable. Okay. So it can reg- reg- uh, I mean, legally go into the yellow bin. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's European standard. Uh, so that's fine. Uh, your the clients uh, can be very happy with this, but I'm not sure this will be acceptable in five years. So okay. we need to we need to to progress, and we are progressing full speed. Look, I ask that because um, you know there's sometimes blue glass bottles, and people yeah. are like, "What do we do with this? We keep it as ornaments." So I'm just wondering because it doesn't look like it looks, to be honest, like something that I'd keep <laughs> rather than actually recycle. I'd actually turn put candles in it, or I'd, 
you know, it's a very decorative, beautiful little bottle. So I, I, I think it's really pretty, mm. you know, but if you are recycling it, so. Yeah. So it's a top comment uh, because. You, <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Because, yeah, if you want to use it to have a, a candle in it, great. Yeah. But you can also reuse it, yeah. which is so, so important. Um, and the flux um, keeps the temperature very well. So it's a good isolating uh, material. Okay, mm -hmm. Some people use some flax residues to isolate roofs in their houses. So if you use the bottle to keep uh, fresh, cool uh, drinks, water, whatever, inside afterwards, it will stay cool, fresh for a longer time. And if you use it uh, for hot drinks, tea or whatever, it would stay hot, warm mm. for a longer period. We've talked a lot about it. I think we should taste the wine with good. you, Jump if you don't mind, James. Yeah. Linda's already... Well, tell us your impressions there, Linda. I really, really like it. It's basically... I, don't be offended by this tasting like a Bordeaux, but it tastes like a really easy to drink Bordeaux that you don't have to have food with. Do you know, quite often... Now, Santa Milan, I suppose, is a lot more approachable than some other regions of Bordeaux. But for me, this is just something that my partner doesn't really drink wine. But when we ever go away, he, he takes me to Santa Milan, And that's a wine that he would absolutely love, which is he likes Pinot Noir and he likes Santa Milan wines. But I know he'll like this. Good. Yeah. Excellent. We have a new customer. Well, there you yeah. go. Yeah. So the blend here, you said, what is the percentage Merlot and Cabernet? It's, um, it's a 60% Merlot and 40% Cabernet. It's Cabernet Sauvignon, by the way, not Cabernet Franc. Okay. Yeah. Um, and um, it's um, long vinifications with grapes that we have uh, have harvested very late because mm -hmm. we want to have fully matured grapes with easy tannins. Otherwise, it's uh, you, you find it difficult uh, to, to drink, and you wouldn't take, uh, have it as an aperitif. You would yeah. need some uh, some food to, to, um, for it. So the fact that the grapes are fully matured helps a lot. Uh, by the way, we just stopped the, the, this year's harvest yesterday, oh. and we are for the third year in a row the, the last ones to finish the harvest in the Perigord region, mm. just for this very reason that we harvest very late to have fully matured grapes. That's very late, yeah. But very it's not late. jammy. Like, do you know that when you hear of ripe, no. ripe japes, grapes, grapes, grapes? It's, <laughs> it is. It, it's quite a fruit forward expression. Yeah. It's quite juicy, but it has good structure and mm -hmm. the tannins are there, but they're very smooth. They're really integrated. Absolutely. Really yeah. well integrated. That's thanks to, uh, to the soil, mm -hmm. um, uh, which um, uh, gives some finesse and some acidity mm -hmm. because uh, to avoid having this jammy taste you're talking about, we need yep. some freshness. Mm -hmm. We need to, some acidity as a structure uh, of the wine. And this comes from the soil. This comes from the soil. That's yeah. very interesting because yeah. it is quite, it is really, the acidity is, is really there to balance it, the, you know, yeah. the wine. It has a freshness to yeah. it, but it still has a lovely structure with tannin as well. So very yeah, drinkable, really nice. James. It's all about the terroir. And uh, I don't know if, uh, I'm sure you had, uh, you have done lots of podcasts about terroir. What I love to say about terroir, because many people don't understand it. I just say it's the taste of a place. And it's just that one place, which is that's typical soil. Uh, what is the soil type here? Uh, it's, um, 
gosh, uh, I'm missing the English word, so you would have to cut this. Um, That's okay. Um, in French, even? I can't speak calcaire. English most of the time. So. Uh, calcareous soils. Yeah, yeah. That's it. Okay. Yeah. But it's very deep. Uh, the chalky. Yeah, chalky. Yeah. yeah, that's it. Chalky. Sorry, okay, I can understand I now. Well. No, no, that's perfect. I we don't need to cut this at all. <laughs> <laughs> Usually I can get hurt. <laughs> 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 well cut. <laughs> Usually I can't get English out in the podcast. <laughs> um, I think that's drinking really well. Yeah. I absolutely would enjoy it. But as you said, that is a perfect wine for drinking on its own. Or with food, I could have that with a beef bourguignon. I'd have it with a juicy beef burger even. I think it's yeah. it's a lovely winter drinking, but um, yeah, I think that's an all-rounder. Lamb too, I would add. Lamb, yeah. 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 Come here, how much is that retailing? Do you know? We have it. Um, I can tell you that, that, above that, that we have it on promotion for November and December offer price nineteen ninety-five. Okay. Which is fantastic price. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's you- a, it, it, because, like you said, Get rid of this perception that a lighter bottle mm-hmm. means cheaper wine yeah. or wine that is of inferior quality or mm-hmm. average quality. We now have to start getting consumers to change that mindset and start, you know, moving away from the heavy bottle and that idea that that is synonymous with high quality mm-hmm. and expecting a lot more of this really high quality wine in different formats and different packaging because that's that's the way producers are moving now. But again, and this is a, a fine example. With, with James saying that, again, don't buy this to keep it, you know, drink it within four years. I don't yeah. think there'll be a problem with people <laughs> keeping it. They'll but, drink and, and, and buy more. I, think. I mean, it, to be honest, it's in line with the trends because fewer and fewer consumers now buy wine to sell her and to, to lay down and... You know, Life's I think too the, short. I think well, we were ta- we've talked about Barolos and how mm-hmm. they've producers of 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 Barolo wines have changed their style and they're not making age worthy Barolos anymore. They're making approachable styles, mm-hmm. um, because there are fewer consumers who are willing to to sell her. I suppose, um, so so this is you know I suppose this is something in favor of a packaging like this. Antonia, to come back on what you said about the weight. Uh, I think you're totally right. Um, I mean, let's say 10 years ago, people would say, uh, I want a heavy car because I want to show that uh, I'm a successful uh, guy and uh, I need to have a Rolls Royce which weighs uh, 3.5 tons. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now they would prefer a, a lighter Tesla which weighs 350 kilos. Exactly. Okay? Yeah. So this um, trend of thinking is totally old fashioned. Uh, yeah. And people need to understand that uh, you don't need to have a heavy bottle and a heavy price to have a very good wine. Mm-hmm. You can have a light bottle and an excellent uh, wine inside it. Uh, and so it's a change of trend of mind. Yeah. yeah, great. And I hope to see more producers getting behind this kind of packaging because the more visibility it has, the more consumers will start to understand yeah, sure. that. Um, we're absolutely delighted, James, to have you here. And it's such an honour. I can't believe it that is. like it, it really like I heard about this. Antonio's been talking about it for a while. And then I saw it at the O'Brien's press tasting recently. And I was like, oh, wow. And when Antonio said we have the opportunity to interview, I was like, fantastic. Because I love, I learned so much from Antonio. I learned so much from doing research for these podcasts. Nice know, sucks. But like when you actually get someone who's so passionate like yourself talking about a brand new product that you've been putting six years. I can't believe it's only, I don't mean only six years, but I mean, that's a, a chunk of time and a lot of hard work and investment to go in to produce something that I just think, I know it's not about aesthetics, but when you look at what it is, you look at what's inside it and you look at how it can change well, for consumers me, it, for the future. It's amazing. For like, me, it's when you pick it up. It, that yeah. is the, it's the most impactful <laughs> Yeah, when you pick it up. 
Really? It's, it's just because a looking at lighter than me, but it's when you pick it up that you have that moment, that aha moment, you yeah. know? Shall I say a few words about how strong the bottle is? Please. Yes. Okay. Um, it's the composite technique. So let me explain. Uh, we are used for maybe 50 or 60 years to use um, fiberglass uh, to produce um, uh, boat she uh, shells. Okay, So we don't need wood anymore and uh, we don't need uh, metal, um, iron or whatever uh, the boats were made of. So we make much lighter boats that can uh, go around the world uh, many times that go, can uh, use less fuel uh, because they are lighter. So uh, that's the composite technique. And uh, so fiberglass is very soft. And when you mix it uh, with um, resin, it uh, becomes extremely strong. It's the same. Um, and talking about this in Ireland is, uh, is nice. About the um, uh, flying industry. Uh, now, uh, aeroplanes are made of carbon fiber. Uh, so it's carbon fiber. It's very soft. Okay. And uh, you turn it into a composite and you have very light uh, wings or very light planes. And for these very reasons, uh, the uh, air flight industry has dr drastically changed uh, because either uh, planes can fly uh, much longer ways if you want to fly from Dublin to uh, uh, let's say Singapore, you don't need to stop uh, halfway to, to, to refill. Uh, or you can uh, set up, and this is my, the Irish connection, um, mm -hmm. uh, an, air, uh, an, air, uh, an airway uh, that uh, is, um, uh, I mean, have uh, cheap uh, prices because um, uh, they don't use so much um, gas oil or, um, or petrol mm -hmm. uh, or kerosene to be, to, to be precise. So we do exactly the same. Um, it's the, the same technique. Uh, and um, our bottle is extremely strong. It's very light. Okay, it's only 84 grams. But if you drop it uh, through the window from the 30th, 40th, 50th uh, floor, it won't break. Uh -huh. It's extremely light and extremely solid, as a boat shell would be or, uh, or as an aeroplane would be. Wow. James, it feels like there's no, no topic that you don't, <laughs> no, that you're not an expert on. And um, it, you. It, you seem like a man that could take your hand to any business and any you know, technical feat. Um, it's been an absolute pleasure having well, you I here with us. Is, yeah, okay, before, on, before we wrap up, we have a very important <laughs> question Linda wants to ask you. And so we always have to do this every episode. We have to talk about our food, favorite food pairing of the last week or so. So, you know, without your whole life, which I imagine was quite interesting, all the wines you've got to try. But in the last, say, week or two, is there any food pairing, food and wine pairing that stood out to you this, this last while? What a, what a difficult question. I just, uh, I'm just coming out of a great meal where I had this, um, this wine, red wine, uh, with beef and with a deep wine sauce, and it was a perfect match. So I'm, I'm sorry I'm promoting my wine. So I need to give another answer. <laughs> no, that's perfectly <laughs> so, okay. <laughs> so um, I could quote 250 or more um, uh, wine and food pairing, just one. Um, I've drunk very recently uh, 1947 Bonazo wine. Um, and this is not very well known, but it's, uh, mm -hmm. they are top wines. And the way they age is absolutely fantastic. And so it's uh, a sweet wine to start with, mm -hmm. but uh, so many years after, the sweetness has gone away. It's still uh, extremely fresh. 
And I had this on a fig tart and it was a delight. Oh my God. You've just made us incredibly <laughs> jealous, James. Oh Thanks. my God. I was not expecting that. That's fantastic. Bonizo with a fig tart. Um, 1947, no less. <laughs> Don't think we can beat that one, James. So look, thank you so much for being here. And we really hope that consumers get behind not just this wine in particular, but this type of packaging. I mean, this is the way of the future and Mm -hmm. it should be the way of the future. And um, we at O'Brien's are delighted to have it in stores. And we're delighted Um, to have you on the podcast to to highlight this. So thank you so much. And thank you for your insights. We've learned so much. Thank you for having me. I mean, it's a great opportunity. I'm thrilled. Great. Thank you. Cheers, James. Merci beaucoup. beaucoup. So what do you think? We do these podcasts because we want you, our listeners, to know what's going on in the world of wine and be informed when it comes to your wine buying decisions. We always love hearing from you. So let us know your thoughts on Instagram and Twitter. Sign up for our newsletter. And if you haven't subscribed to Wine, the long and the short of it yet, make sure you do that wherever you get your podcasts. Or reach out to us by email at ourwinepodcast at gmail.com. Until next time, I'm Antonia Dominguez. And I'm Linda Coogan. Cheers. Cheers. You have been listening to Wine, the Long and the Short of It with me, Antonia Dominguez. And me, Linda Coogan, in proud partnership with Give Wine a Future.